This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. And my name is Kara. And you know how we do here. We talk about an amazing episode of Law & Order SVU. We talk about the true crime it was based on. And then we talk to a celebrity guest. And we have a huge announcement. We're going on a huge fall tour. I am mad how many times I said huge, but here we are. Um, (laughs) Full tour. We're back, babies. We're really excited. We're going to a bunch of places that we've already come to. We're going to new cities as well. So go to that'smessuplive.com or our Instagram page to check out where we're going. And please come out and buy tickets. If you guys don't come to shows, we can't keep going anywhere. But we've been having a great, we've had so much fun being on the road, meeting you guys. Doing but we're listening. Shows. We're tr- we're getting to Canada. We're getting to Vermont. We're getting to yeah. these places. So yeah. check it out. Also, I will be at Union Hall July twelfth. So if you're in New York, those tickets fly fast. Get it. Oh together. my gosh! Yeah, it's a small, amazing venue, and get the tickets now because they will go. Well, yeah, and then July thirteenth, guys, get ready. Michelle Buteau's TV show comes out. Survival. Oh of the my thickest. god! Yes, we need all I'm of in the it. that's messed up people to Netflix bomb that show. You all need to watch Survival of the Thickest like in the first day that it comes out, so that Netflix gets the message that this is a fucking good show, and Lisa is in it. And I cannot wait to see it. I've heard all the stories of being on set, and I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. Yeah. And hopefully I'll have a kick-ass outfit for this premiere. <laughs> I think you will if I know this woman's work. Um, <laughs> the Also, another little thing. We have already been talking about it on Insta and stuff, but we have a new shirt in our merch store that says, Do You Have Children, Detective? A thing that they say on the show all the time, that we say on the show all the time. Love it. it I just got mine. It's so soft. It looks great. And... Just go get it. It's like on our merch shop, which is also in the link in our Instagram bio has like the link to our merch shop. But you can also just Google our show and it takes you to the exactly right page with our merch. And that's that. What else? Enough business. Lisa, what's going on with you? I got a ticket. Oh, no. I'm so annoyed. I Speeding just or parking? Parking, parking. Oh. I just didn't move for street cleaning. And I, I, when I woke up this morning to go get coffee, I went, oh my God, it's on the Wednesday side. Uh, so. That's like uh, one of my, the best gifts of this house is that we don't have street cleaning because that would drive me insane. But... But it's like, know. come on, guys. You always see me following directions. You can't just let me have I know. it. I know. It's like, you guys know Ruby. Like, you know she does the right thing. <laughs> I always do the right thing. Now, this is my second ticket. That's really Jared just got one for being two minutes late getting coffee. And I was telling you in my mom group, they're worried that because there's a fake parking ticket scam going on in L.A. So I was like, make sure that your ticket's fake. You were like, I've already paid it. It was very real. <laughs> so <laughs> um, unfortunately, you were not a victim of the scam. But what else is going on? It's this is coming out on July 4th. 
I, oh you God. know, obviously America has problems, but in terms of holidays, July 4th is one of my favorites. It really yeah. is. I love fireworks. I love summer. I love a theme and I love grilling. It's like, yeah, give me a hot dog while I look at explosions in the sky. I can't think of it. And then like cute. I, I, I do love it. I have great memories. Skokie usually has a parade. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I wonder what's going to happen this year because, you know, there was a shooting in Highland Park last year. But oh, my God, that's right. <sighs> yeah. So I don't know what's going to change or not, but I just I love getting away and I love the heat and I love just like watermelon dripping. I don't know. I yeah. really love July 4th. Yeah, I really 4th of July is so fun for me. I mean, me I a spend, lake house. I spent 24th of July's doing the exact same thing at camp at like because I would just we had a bonfire and fireworks and like barbecue, like the whole thing. And it was like one of the funnest nights of the summer. And then now it's like I have kids. But last year I took Rosie to this party where I did have the only kids at the party for most of it. No, somebody else brought kids, but mostly my kids were it. And then Rosie and I stayed later and I let her stay up to watch fireworks because it doesn't get really dark until nine o'clock. Yeah, I'm shocked your camp had fireworks. That's expensive, no? Oh, yeah. Well, a guy that I'm friends with is like a fireworks guy and he's also like rich and he would come back every year and do the fireworks. So I don't know if he donated wow. them or what, but like they are expensive. But yeah, like it was a pretty good show. I used to salon reception with a girl whose husband at the time, his whole family were a firework family. And oh. that's like what they did as a family. But they got divorced, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she's in the firework family anymore. Um, no, I know for sure she's now not. Now fireworks I, are particularly triggering for her. She's like a dog. <laughs> well, it is really fun. It's not funny, but like, you know... She came in one day, she she wouldn't tell us what happened, but it's like your marriage is failing and it's all your fault. Clearly you cheated. You know what I mean? Like she was just like devastated, crying. She was like, I don't think my marriage will survive this, but couldn't talk about it. And it's like, we all put the pieces together. Yeah. Like <laughs> maybe these people just went to cosmetology school, but we got it. You know, yeah. <laughs> gossip, gossip and reading between the lines is actually what is taught in hair school. I don't know. It was just like we just tell us everything. We put we put it together, girl. That is so funny. The idea that there's like an elective for gossip in cosmetology school. They're like, you can't at, you can't want it too badly. You need to just be a be a listening ear. Then they'll spill, you know? Yeah, I, you really have to talk and listen so much. It's it, it is part of the job. My favorite was like the guys that would come in and pay $80 haircuts with $20 tips to go with the hottest girls ever. And I loved it. I love women <laughs> in tech. <laughs> it was really incredible. But I don't know. I, I have no plans this July 4th at all. And I don't know what I'll be doing today as you guys are listening to this. Yeah, I don't know. I have no I'm clue. not sure what we're doing either, but I do hope that Jared volunteers to take Oscar to bed and that I can watch the fireworks with Rosie again. <laughs> he cannot. He's just, he's not there yet. Yeah. Oh, outside of 4th of July. Um, well, speaking of fireworks, uh, well, not so much in Arizona, but I went to a baseball game in Arizona and, you know, I, I like to see all the stadiums. It, it, obviously they have to do an indoor stadium. Like it, it, it would not be okay if it wasn't, but it does change the vibe. It does. You yeah. know, part of the things like L.A. and Chicago is I love the fireworks. I love a home run yeah. firework show. I love it all. But I 
just a couple. Be- I got waste. Also, Arizona, the food's not as good. It's not really a food town. Like, yeah, the, the concessions weren't that good. Maybe I got the wrong stuff, but I didn't even <laughs> I bet finish people things. In, people in Arizona are probably like, she's judging the food in our entire state by our baseball stadium, but you just mean the baseball food? Yeah, yeah, I mean stadium oh, okay, food. Okay, okay. I thought you meant like Arizona food. I was like, oh, okay. No, the where stadium. Is, where, where do you think the best food is that you've been, that you've had? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but Comiskey. Like Chicago, Vienna Beach. Oh, Hot Chicago. Dogs. Right, right, right. Because yeah, like, I'm like, I'm like, can't even get into this debate because I get the veggie dogs and they just taste like rubber bands. So I'm just doing it for the like activity of eating a hot dog. You but, don't even um, get, you can get helmet nachos. I mean, there's things you can get that you would like. That's true. I thought about getting the helmet nachos last they time. They also have really, pizzas. No, I wanted to get a hot dog though. Like I like the idea of eating a hot dog at the baseball game and I can't have like the old one. So I kind of just try to, you know, remember the taste of an old hot dog, of a, of a meat hot dog, <laughs> of a big beef dog. <laughs> Wait, but yeah, so, I should get the nachos. Yeah, it's just because, you know, I was so excited that the Arizona stadium does have a pool, but like being in a yeah. pool in an indoor stadium, what's the point? The whole point is it's hot and you're in the pool. Does the ceiling ever open up? Yeah, I talked to um, an Uber driver about this. Okay. So he said that like uh, the season openers a few games like in April when the season starts and then in the fall for a couple games. And that's it. Wow. Maybe a night game, but like it's just Too unbearable. It's unbearable because then when I walked out of the stadium, I only walked like a seven minute walk and I was drenched, drenched. I mean, I'm sure they're all used to it, obviously. Yeah. But I did feel cool because we did our podcast at the Tempe Improv. It was incredible. Nice to meet you all. And we do have to, we have an announcement about that. <laughs> then I did a guest set on my friend Brad's show at Stand Up Live on Friday. And then I did Stand Up at CB Live Saturday, Sunday. So I did all three. With, with an opener at CB Live. Yes. With from Anisha. Bravo, <laughs> yeah. a yeah, Bravo yeah. Liberty. Well, and I met her husband who, you know, we only got to see in People magazine. So I did feel like I got an exclusive to this totally. cool vein doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, in case people didn't hear you say it, Anisha from Family Karma opened yeah, for yeah. Lisa. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she was good, right? She was great. Yes. Yeah, yes. She was great. I mean, and I talked to her about this because she's not... Um, she understands that she has an audience without like experience. So we talked about that because she was like, wait, what do I say when I'm done? Like, how do I indicate that I'm done? So you guys know to come back, oh like the host God. to come back out. Like she didn't know what to do. Like she just wanted to walk off stage. I'm like, oh, you could say thank you. Enjoy your, the rest of the sh-. You know, like I was giving her stuff. And I was like, yeah, like most people when they start, they're learning how to do like stand up and all this stuff to nobody. Like you do mics and free shows for years. And I'm like, so... It's cool. You're getting audiences, but like you do have to learn all these things in yeah, front of all these so people. Many little things like you got to like move the mic stand out of the way unless you're going to like use it or whatever. You got to like, you know, there's all kinds of things like like I hate when someone goes, our next comic is Kara Clank. You guys will love her. You've seen her on this. And that. It's like, no, you say the comics name last. That's the last thing you say before you introduce them. And like there's just little things like that. I feel like you just learn. Yeah, you can't fake experience. So I felt cool. I did all three venues in a weekend. Made the most of it. That's awesome. And every every Uber driver I had was from like the Chicago suburbs. It was crazy. I think everyone from Chicago moves to Arizona. And you ran into someone you knew. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a girl from my basketball team in high school sitting right in the front row. And right away I went, did we go to high school together? And usually when I say that to people, people are like, absolutely not. And she was like, yes, <laughs> it's me. But we hung out oh. for hours. It was really cool. And she's in um, like academia, academia as well. I don't know. It's it's fun. I mean, being able to travel for work is really cool and perform and like people know of you a little bit because I do get to interact with all these people from my past that come out. Also, we get to meet so many interesting people. If you're listening, we met a zookeeper at Tempe. She was a zookeeper. And I want to let you know that Rosie was very impressed when I told her about your job. And now she wants to be a zookeeper, she told me. And she goes, when I go to zookeeper school, are they going to show me how to feed sh shrimp to the flamingos? <laughs> like, so she's really into zookeeper shit now. So thank she you. I think I, we might have a, a new zoologist. Great zookeeper. <laughs> Rosie would crush it. I mean, she's like holding snakes. I got to open my garage. Hopefully it's not too moldy. I have a stuffed snake I can give her. Oh, she love that. Yeah, that I've had a long time. We have to start this. Yeah, we got to get going. Casey's like honestly, waving the flag. I'm so insecure. I feel like this was like our worst intro of all time. Let us know in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've done worse, but let's get started. <laughs> Happy birthday, America. You train wreck of a country and uh, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. All right, here we go. PTSD, season 10, episode nine. A Maloney-free episode. Wow, I don't know yeah. if it clicked for me. Yeah, it's an ice and live. I wonder if he was like... I need a week. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to Italy with my family. Who knows? He was like, I'm going to an ex exclusive butt strengthening class in Majorca. Um, all right. Well, and he's such a military boy. Maybe it would have been a gray area or something. Oh, yeah, that's true. But then they made Finn is all. Maybe they wanted to just give Finn like oh, a focused episode. Right. So we start out on this episode with one of those fictional disclaimers, which means like that, where they say this is not based on any person or event, which means it definitely is. Uh, so I, I still want to get to the bottom of when they show those and when they don't, because it feels like a lot there, of episodes. It, yeah, you're right. It's not always. It's only sometimes. And... You're, it's usually when it's, duh, this is Michael Jackson. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes it's like very, sometimes it's very clear that it's based on something and they don't put it up. So I don't know. We got to find out. We got to get Neil back on. So um, the episode opens on a super zoomed in shot of Benson. She's zoned out. She's listening to someone talk, but it's all echoey. And it's the sound of somebody talking about being able to smell their attacker. So you're like, is she listening to a witness? Is she in, what is, what is happening? Where is she? And then the woman's, the woman's voice says, he said, what's the difference between a bitch and a slut? A slut will screw anything and a bitch will screw anything but you. And I was like, wow, if that is not the incels national anthem, I do not know what is like, there's only two types of women, like women who will fuck anybody because they're slutty or women that are just like depriving you of what you rightfully deserve, which is to fuck them. So very incel vibes. In uh, the words of Air Ariana Maddox, I am not your flashlight. Yes. That is a great, a great Vanderpump quote. We will continue to pepper in Vanderpump quotes as we go. We break from Benson's like stare to see that she's in a support group for survivors, uh, most likely as a result of her assault while undercover in prison in the episode called Undercover from season nine. It's been a lot. It's been a while SVU wise, but they're kind of 
you know, I think using her PTSD to weave into the episode's themes as well. The women are all using terminology that indicates that this group is specifically for women in the military or law enforcement. Like the one uh, who's been talking mentions that even though she was raped by a fellow officer, she got into trouble for a lesser offense, like sneaking beer and not having her M4. I tried to look that up and M4 seems like it's a weapon, but I don't know if that's what they're talking about here. They use a lot of military jargon in this episode and I could not look it all up. This woman admits that she's always strapped now. And this piques Benson's interest. She's like, you can't carry a concealed weapon. And it's like, but maybe I'm later. Against ben- her. I'm against her here. I'm anti-Benson yeah. here. Like, you're not, this is a meeting. You're not on duty. Like, this yeah. is supposed to be like a free, like, turn it off, bitch. Yeah. Not to call Benson a bench, so come for me. Oh, my God. Yeah, but I said that I said I was like, maybe later, Benson, like she's in the middle of confessing this like huge trauma. Maybe you could approach her after about the weapon thing. But like she stops the middle of the group to be like, I'm a rule follower and you could go to prison if you get caught with a weapon. And the woman goes, sounds better than being raped. And I think given Olivia's experience, prison is not exactly a rape free zone. Like I wouldn't think that that (laughs) sounds better. But the moderator lady ends the session telling everyone, don't forget to journal and breathe. Did you have signs in school that said put down free zone? No. Oh, those are big and skokey. Wow. Put down free zone. That's interesting. So no put downs. Yeah, it really worked. The signs worked. JK. Wow. I was going to (laughs) say. I was like, wow. (laughs) No, we didn't have that. We didn't have a lot of like social and emotional learning when I was going to school the way that Daniel Tiger is bringing to my child's life. But- yeah. No, it's so nice now. And it's, <laughs> I saw this one Insta story and this woman was like, listen, my kid didn't want to go to school. They didn't fake being sick. They weren't sick. They just didn't want to go. They're a good, per- they're a good kid. I let them not go. And you're allowed to do this. Your kids are allowed to play hooky once in a while. Yeah. And the comments, you know, I'm addicted to comments. They give me the dopamine I need. And it was like someone being like, then they don't learn perseverance and how to get cha- get challenged through hard times and this and that. And, and I just wrote, from one missed day of school? What are you, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about here? And you're all nutcases. There was another yeah. thing, another comment that I just got into, and then I'll stop interrupting, is um, basically there's a guy on a podcast and he's like, by this year, 45% of women are going to be single, not married, no kids, what the fuck, blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to like Chelsea Handler being like, oh, let me, you know, this millionaire drinking vodka and eating mushrooms at 3 p.m. Like, she's like, why can't, you know, living the good life. And then the comments, one comment was just like, this is bullshit, man. I have right now, my my main bitch is rubbing my feet while I smoke a blunt and this and that and that. And I just wrote... Yeah, why would I want to be a millionaire when I could rub your feet? Like, (laughs) what point were you just trying to prove? Like, you just proved the opposite, which is this is very positive for men. Yeah. Getting their feet rubbed by a main chick. You're cheating on the woman rubbing your feet. And yet you think Chelsea Handler's life is sad? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, like, don't even get it. But hopefully these people aren't real. You know, I'm just, like, in the comments. Did you see the woman Ferrari mommy? Oh, I love her. Oh, yeah. With Pierce Morgan. Yeah, Pierce Morgan's like, you fucking whore. What about your child? And she's like, "Mm -hmm. I have a Ferrari. I'm really good at fucking on camera, and they can uh, cry in a Ferrari. I loved her. She's so funny. (laughs) 
She's like, I know what my strengths are. So anyway, the moderator tells them, everybody journal and breathe. Olivia follows the one woman who was talking uh, and who talked about carrying a gun. Her name is Rochelle. She follows her like towards the door and goes, I need to look inside your jacket. And the moderator is like, Olivia, this is a safe space. Anything said in session is confidential and you're a client here. And she goes, I'm a cop and I cannot let you leave with a gun. So the woman hands over the gun and lives like, you better hope there's no bodies on this gun or you're so fucked. And she goes, I just want to feel safe. And Olivia does let her walk, like doesn't arrest her. But the moderator pulls a Craig in and is like, my office. And so now she tells Olivia, you're supposed to be here to address your anxiety from sexual assault. I think that's part of why Olivia is doing it. She can kind of ignore what's her own personal shit if she can like, be copping even at the meeting you know what i mean like we agree i agree with you like she should not be doing that but i think it's like an escape it's like a an avoidance thing for her of like avoiding doing the work on herself so lives like if you knew about that weapon you should have reported it and the moderator is like i had suspicions but no proof and no one would trust my ass if i frisked them when they walked in so what do you want me to do and lives like well i had probable cause and the moderator says you crossed the line You've been, you have to put being a cop aside when we're in session. And Olivia is sticking to her guns, no pun intended, and says, not if they break the law. And she's about to leave when the woman tells her, listen, Olivia, one of my patients is missing. She might be in trouble. Uh, Her name is Jessie Cruz. She went AWOL from Cherry Point a month ago. She heard about the pro bono work I do with military rape victims and she came here for therapy and lives like okay file a missing persons report like Olivia does not care and the well, woman, that's what's funny you care this woman has a gun but you don't care that this woman's been other, missing yeah exactly and then the woman who we find out her, her name is Margot, the woman who runs these sessions the therapist she's like I can't do that they'll put her in the brig which is military prison I had to google it um which I've actually seen a military prison when I went and performed in Kuwait for the troops they showed me the base where they keep there was nobody in it at the time nobody had done anything wrong that week or whatever but like that they showed me where they keep people who have committed crimes on the base and then how like where they how they get shipped off to like go you know get their trial or whatever. Olivia says, well, so will I. If I find her, I have to arrest her. And I didn't know the NYPD had to like turn over AWOL soldiers like it was olden times. Like I didn't realize that was like a thing. Um, But I guess it is. And Margo, and and I'm sure a lot of our military listeners are going to be like, yes, like if you leave base, you're considered a criminal. I just didn't know all that. Margo explains, Jesse was raped seven months ago by a fellow Marine and she's pregnant. Dun, dun. And then Liv goes, she's having her rapist's baby. And it's like, you are the child of rape and you seem shocked. So like, I thought you were supposed to be like the poster child for this. But she's like, listen, I last saw her three days ago. She was upset and she wouldn't say why. So now Liv is on the case. She's walking and talking with Jesse's landlord, a classic law and order character that will not stop what he's doing to talk to the cops for even one second. He's taking out trash. He's a busy landlord. He says, you know, you're the second person to come looking for this Jesse girl in the short time she's lived here. The other guy saw her with, uh, they were having a fight. And she, the guy says, this guy was white 30s military. He wasn't wearing a uniform, but the haircut and the posture gives it away which I was thinking about what my brother, how my brother stands and what his hair looks like. And I think you could clock him as being military pretty quickly. Benson gets a call at that same time from Finn and goes, we found Jesse's car. I don't know why she's filling the landlord and like he cares. Now in the longest cold open of all times, Benson is at the tow lot and they jack that baby open, pop the trunk and dun dun, there is a very dead and bloody body in the trunk of a woman. And the woman who works at the tow lot immediately starts puking. Immediately. Have you ever thrown up from seeing something so disgusting? 
I I gag really bad um, and almost like smells like bad smells fuck me up. Yeah. So not from seeing something, but from smelling stuff. Well, and and I'm the smell was bad. She did say, what's that smell right before they popped open the trunk? So maybe it was the smell, but I um, I was just thinking like I've never thrown up from seeing something like disgusting. But yeah, the smell might do it for me. Benson calls for a bus and CSU, and then the camera zooms in on the pale, dead face of the woman. And Benson goes, tell them to canvas for a premature newborn. And so that's when we hit the credits. So now we've got this woman dead in the back of a car with clearly her baby missing, and she was seven months pregnant. So now Melinda's on the scene. The time of death is about 12 hours ago. There's bruising around her throat. Benson guesses guesses that she was yoked, and then there's one jagged stab wound to the back. Liv wonders if the baby could have survived. And Melinda said, a 32 to 33-week-old baby, the lungs aren't developed yet, but I'm more concerned that the baby was cut during the attack. Like, she says the killer really hacked at the womb, and she's finding pieces of placenta, umbilical cord. This is not great. She's going to test the cord blood to see if they can ID the dad. Up walks Navy Commander Grant Marcus, who is played by an actor named Frank Whaley. And he is so familiar to me. And he's been in a ton of stuff, like Pulp Fiction. He's in Ray Donovan. But I just don't know where I remember him from. Like, I see him and I'm like, I know you, but I can't place it. He essentially is a Marine cop. And uh, he wants to know about the investigation, which Benson is obviously being cagey about. And she's like, it's a civilian homicide. And he says, of an active duty AWOL Marine. And this is not the first time on this show that the NYPD has gotten into like a pissing contest with the armed forces. Like we've seen, you know, a bunch of other episodes like this, like the Sheree Appleby episode that we covered. And Liv's like, I'll need her military record and the file on her rape complaint. And the guy's like, what does that have to do with the murder? And it's like, Sir, is this your first day working in crime? Like, what does her rape have to do with her being murdered? It's They're very connected. And he thinks someone probably did this as a baby snatching. Like, the crime that we covered with Bobby Joe Sinnott when we did Pure, that was a woman who did have a baby cut out of her by a woman and not in the same, like, sort of like what seemed like murdery fashion. That seemed like that was a person trying to take the baby. Liv's like, babe, no woman stabbed the fuck out of this woman, dragged the body, and shoved it in the trunk of a car. The whole motive of this crime was destroying evidence. And she's like, military women risk their lives and are attacked by their own men. And he's like, she never ID'd her rapist. Liv's like, she either didn't know who it, do who he was or she knew you guys wouldn't do jack shit about it. Give me the file so I can solve this murder. And the guy's like, sorry, she was raped in Iraq where the crime scene and most of her unit are still in theater. So he walks off and Liv looks angry. At the precinct, the gang is putting their heads together. Baby's been missing for 12 hours. Do we know where this happened? They found a large pool of blood in Battery Park and a lab is testing it. That could also just be a large pool of blood. You know, who knows? Yeah, so, like, it's like a really packed populated city and just like a random park. And they're like, it could be the blood. That's yeah, so funny. the pool of blood. So Jesse was stationed in North Carolina. That's where Cherry Point in and is and was in New York City to attend these therapy sessions that treat military rape victims with PTSD. And they say PTSD, so drink. That is the name of the episode. Um, if you're somehow unaware, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, something, a psychological state that one enters after they've had a horribly traumatic event in their life. She sublet her place Uh, in the city. She paid in cash. She didn't go out much. So she was obviously laying low and just in New York to do these therapy sessions. They're checking cameras 
ATM cameras. They dumped her cell. She got a bunch of calls from a disposable and two from a Midtown hotel payphone. So they figure if her rape took place in Iraq, she must have known her attacker. She was assigned to the squadron in the second air wing, and it's the maintenance of light attack helicopters. Finn is activated. He is pulling from his deep well of military knowledge. He's like, this is how many people are in one of those planes and blah, 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 blah. And he's like a bunch of Marine jargon or military jargon. And then Benson lets us know that that's over 75 suspects. And Craig, Daddy Cragen is like, well, then narrow it down and tells Liv to go back to the therapist because maybe she mentioned something to her therapist that the therapist hasn't said yet. The therapist is Margot. She is very upset. She's been doing grief counseling all day because other women in the group knew this new Jesse. Finn goes, what can you tell us about Jesse? And Margot goes, nothing. And Finn goes, I guess you and the military have a lot in common. Zing. She's crying confidentiality, which I didn't think was that big of a deal when the client is dead. Like, I didn't think that that, I thought you could kind of be open after the client is, in what we've seen in the show, they go, you know, I can't tell you that. And they go, well, your client is dead. And then the therapist is usually like, blah, 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 and like spills it. Oh, so, I'm against that. I hope that's not real in real life. I, I hope so too, but Keep I feel your like- your fucking mouth shut. That's how it, I but feel. In the sense of, in the sense of helping the investigation and figuring out what her, her murder, I I don't know. I thought therapists could talk after the fact if they were dead. But Liv is like, bitch, you brought me into this. I just want to find out who savagely murdered your former client and cut her damn baby out. And she's like, I can't say anything. They could yank my license. So, okay. Finn and Liv are now walking and talking and Liv wants to go talk to other patients. She doesn't even need Margot to give up the list because she knows who to talk to. And Finn goes, so does anyone else know that you're in therapy? And she goes, no. And he goes, well, I'm a vault. You're not going to hear it. No one's going to hear it from me. So, cause you know, in <laughs> starting with Stabler, therapy is shameful at this, at the 16th precinct. They do not do therapy. At a construction site, we see Rochelle trying to take a break and she looks like she's having a tough day. She runs smack into Olivia and goes, ugh, go away, bitch. And I thought that was <laughs> really funny. I was like, I mean, I would never say that to Olivia Benson, of course, but that's really funny. Like, ugh, go away, bitch. There's a couple of people in my life I feel that way when I see them. Um, and then Finn goes, say that to me. And the girl's like, like, I'm not talking to you guys. It would be, uh, we've all done our time in the desert. It would be breaking ranks to talk to you, like not happening. And Finn does his thing. And he's like, were you in the army? And she goes, hua, which is the army phrase because my brother says it with his friends at his wedding and shit. So then uh, Finn drops that he was in the Rangers in Mogadishu in 93. And she's like, <laughs> she goes, that's Black Hawk down. Like she immediately is respecting Finn. Like he, he wins her over in three seconds. So they start talking army lingo about the kind of job she had. And she says, that's how she met Jess. I, so Jess is a Marine. She's in the army. I, 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 I think they do interface at different times, but I don't understand how. Olivia tells her that her silence is like erasing Jess's rape. And she knows exactly what to say to this woman, Rochelle, to make her talk. So then Rochelle's like, okay, Jess said this guy came into the hangar while she was on night rotation, locked the door and raped her. And then it took her a month to report it. And she waited so long because she'd previously been busted having sex with someone in her unit. And Livia was like, oh, consensual. And Finn was like, no sex in combat. So Finn explains like, it gets, it will ding your record if you get caught. So now- because she got caught having sex with this other guy in her unit, she's hesitant to come forward about this other thing because she won't be believed, which is probably true. 
And then she got pregnant and said, okay, well, now I have all the evidence I need. And she filed. Rochelle says she didn't tell her who did it, but he was ranked above her and she was scared of retribution. Finn's like, yeah, these guys could mess with her. Even her own unit could ice her out if people found out. Like, And Rochelle's like, you have no idea what it's like to be raped by some bastard who's supposed to be watching your six. And Jesse went AWOL because she knew her rapist was coming home and she was afraid of what he might do. So... Now we're at Casa de Melinda, the morgue, where Melinda is talking and Olivia is in one of her zones again. So Olivia's like, we hear Melinda's voice echoing, but Olivia's just like staring dead-eyed straight ahead. Finn snaps her out of it and he's like, where'd you go? And she's like, oh, what? Sorry, nothing. I'm, I'm good. And then Melinda says, the victim was yoked and stabbed from behind. Death was immediate. So the baby was taken post-mortem. Melinda ran the cord blood, and all she can tell you is that the rapist was Caucasian. And Liv wants to run the DNA against the military DNA database, and Finn's like, no, nah, they use that for identifying remains. They're never going to give us access to that. And Melinda explains the cause of death, that the knife went in to her back, up like under her rib cage, and into the lung, and then it was twisted. And Finn's like, oh, that's a combat move. That's how you kill someone silently. The lung collapses so you can't scream. And so, fuck, like, this is cool. a person... Yeah, you learn something new every day. So they're like, oh, so this must have been a higher level officer. Finn's like, they do not offer like advanced knife shit in basic training. So she says it's a seven inch knife, non-serrated, even though it was a jagged stab, they said at the beginning, but maybe I'm the only one that caught that. And Finn goes, that sounds like a K-bar knife to me. And that comes with the uniform. So it should be, this should be enough to get the duty roster for the night that she was raped. So now we're back talking to good old Commander Marcus from Pulp Fiction. And he's like, I already sent over the victim's military record to the precinct. And she's like, what about the file on the rape? And he goes, there isn't one. When people are attacked, when people are reporting a rape or something, I think it might be any crime, but it's a rape in this case, they can choose restricted or non-restricted when they report. She chose restricted. He goes, non-restricted is full court press. And I'm like, sure, Jan. And then restricted is the victim gets medical treatment and counseling without starting a formal investigation. So non-restricted is like you get to use some of the military benefits to like get begin your healing process, but you don't actually want to like go through the drama of the court and the, the court marshalling and the trial and everything. So Liv is like, oh, cool. So then the rapist walks while you cover up an epidemic of sexual assault against enlisted females. And he's like, the policy was designed to encourage women to come forward. So they still ask questions, he says. They take statements. And in case the victim changes her mind, like they gather evidence and stuff. But like SVU, in this case, we have very little evidence and no witnesses. Like, and it's like, have you met these people? They don't need witnesses and evidence. They have a 99% case closure rate. Like they will figure it out. So... He says, we take precautions to make sure that victims and the accused don't serve alongside one another. And Liv's like, well, you fucked up because the autopsy proved she was butchered by a fellow Marine. And he says, if this is true, I'm shutting down your investigation. And Liv's like, dude, she was murdered in NYC, not in Fallujah. And he says, the U.S. military is sovereign. And since both the victim and the attacker belong to the armed forces, your work here is done. He adds a little folder slap to hammer the point home as he slaps a folder down on the desk. And that's the end of act one. So now coming into act two, oh no, it's Kim fucking Graylick. And she's chasing down Commander Marcus, telling him how she's gonna kick his ass in court doing her usual like peacocking thing that she does. She's telling the dude that 
he can't take over the investigation. And he's arguing that Battery Park is federal land. And Gray, Gray looks like, well, time of death can't be established. So you say she died in Battery Park. I say she died in the trunk of her car. And it's like, they're really getting down to dirty details here. Gray looks like, the guy is unidentified, and unless he's on active duty, he's a civilian and he's ours. And the guy's like, all right, fine, what do you want? And he, she's like, I want the duty roster for the night of Jesse's assault. He goes, NCIS already looked at that. And she goes, bitch, we'll look again. And she also wants the current whereabouts of every Marine from Jesse's squadron. And then she takes her little sensible heels and click clacks out of there. At the 16th precinct, Liv is holding a box of big ass box of papers and explaining like how this guy, Marcus, is just drowning them in paperwork because the military can't afford any more bad press or to lose soldiers. Cragen breezes in looking for a glass of milk and an update. And he's like, what's going on? And most of her squad, they tell Cragen that most of her squad is still on duty, but there are five Marines that were on duty that night who have shipped home since. Two sergeants, a gunnery, a master sergeant, and a lieutenant all ranked above crews. They narrowed it down to because a couple guys are like, they, they have alibis, like they're in a different state. They narrow it down to two guys who are either on leave or unaccounted for. One is Dominic, we see their photos, okay? So one of them is the actor Dominic Famusa, who is Nurse Jackie's husband, I'm obsessed. And the other is Ryan Quantin, who's Sookie Stackhouse's brother from True Blood. So and these were- before anyone messages us, we do know, yes, he was in Sex in the City. He played the asshole, Dominic Famusa. So yes. don't fucking message. Yes, but to we me- We know these, him. <laughs> to me, these are two of my top hotties of 2009. Like I was- Who's into- the other one? He, Ryan Quantin, he's an Australian actor from True Blood, and he is- Oh, I forgot you're a he, True Blood girl. Yeah, he's really but hot I like True it. Blood. I don't I know. It gets, True Blood. It gets really fucking crazy. Like, I thought it started out really cool, and then it just got, like, stupid. But I watched the whole thing. But I don't know. Listeners, weigh in. We'll do a poll. Do you think Lisa should watch True Blood? We'll do a poll. In walks this woman, and she's looking for Benson. She introduces herself as Jesse's mother, but she stops in her tracks when she sees huge blown-up photos of Jesse lying dead and covered in blood on the, you know, the Carrie Matheson red string board that they always have going on in the precinct. So the mom starts to, like, hyperventilate, and Cragen sweeps her away to an interview room. Later, she's sitting down talking to Olivia. Olivia's like, I'm sorry that you saw that. And she's like, I needed to see it to make it real. She said, I hadn't talked to Jesse in over a month. The Marines came to Cleveland looking for her, thinking I was hiding her, but I wasn't. And then she's like, any leads on the baby? And Olivia's like, Ugh, sadly, no, there are not. And she says, my grandson's dead too, isn't he? And she says, I was worried about roadside bombings. But when Jesse told me that men still outnumber women 10 to 1, I expected some casual harassment, but not rape. And I don't know why you didn't expect that, but it seems like it is truly an epidemic. She called her mom right after it happened, but wouldn't name any names. And she told, the mom told her to file a complaint. And Jesse said she was already getting harassed and didn't want to make more trouble. And apparently a sergeant lost a stripe for hanging around Jesse. He was a popular guy. His unit blamed her. So she's already getting shit. This guy's name is Dominic Pruitt. It's a little confusing here because there's Dominic Famusa is playing an actor named, playing a character named Gary. And the other guy's playing an actor named Dominic, uh, playing a character named Dominic. So Dominic is Ryan Quantin. He plays like a sex idiot in True Blood. He's just like a hot moron, but he's like has sex with everybody. And Finn says, everybody loves this guy. Like everyone I talk to is obsessed. Uh, he has no record of sexual assault and lives like big whoop. That doesn't mean shit. When women file in the military, they get court marshaled for desertion, dereliction, and conduct unbecoming. Like, and the guys all just skate. So him not having a record means shit to me. 
Cragen drops the bomb that the guy passed the polygraph. And she's like, any psycho can do that. Like, lives on a mission. Like, she doesn't seem like herself in this episode. She does a really good job, I feel like, weaving in her PTSD into the character here. It turns out that Dominic is in the city and he's at a hotel in Midtown. Liv and Finn rush over there and Finn's like, all right, let's strategize how we're going to get this guy like to talk because he's not going to confess. Like he's trained not to. And Liv's like, fuck it. He'll talk or he'll sit in a cell. And Finn's like very always even keeled. And he's like, so it sounds like you've decided he's already guilty. And Liv's like, yeah, if it walks like a duck, it's fucking a rapist duck. So she's like, I know this sucks for you. I hate bad cops. But Finn's like, but I never see you push this hard against one PP. So like, why are you on such a mission right now? And I think we all know it's part of her mental state that she's in right now with her PTSD. So as they approach the hotel room, they hear a huge scuffle. They enter and they see Nurse Jackie's husband and True Blood Hottie beating the shit out of one another, smashing coffee tables, throwing each other around like it's a full brawl. Olivia goes to grab Dominic. And because of, you know, military training, turning him into a fighting machine, he kind of like slaps his arm back and pushes Liv against a wall very hard. She breaks the glass on a hotel boat painting. And then she goes into this like PTSD sort of like fugue state for a moment, like almost like a panic attack. She's heavy breathing. She's sweating. And then suddenly she has her gun pressed against Dominic's head and it's cocked like it's ready to go. Yeah, but they make it seem like that's like wild and she's lost her mind. And it's like they're fucking fighting. He just threw her into a wall. Get your fucking gun out. Yeah, like, you assaulted I have a no police officer. With yeah. They make it seem like she's unhinged. I'm like, this seems like the normal next step. I think it's like they normally would draw their gun and say, like, stop, like, stop or I'll shoot or something like that. And in this case, she had it pressed. Like, having it pressed execution style maybe is the issue. I don't know. Mm. I agree. Like, that to me seems like, what's the big deal? But um, Finn has to, like, talk her down. She comes back to reality, but she's very rattled. She keeps like apologizing. She's like, sorry, sorry. And Finn's like, okay, like breathe. You're in, you can feel your feet on the ground. Like he's great. Finn is like the person I want with me when I'm having a panic attack. And then a plain looking white blonde woman enters and she says she's Gary's wife and that that's her husband and he needs a doctor. He's been hurt. She's like annoying from the jump. And then Finn kind of deals with her and then goes back to like helping live out of her panic attack. And then they arrest these guys. Like they start... Um, well, they they actually just arrest, you just see them arresting Dominic. Gary, maybe he was the one getting the brunt of the, of the beating, but they do bring him into the precinct. So at the top of the next act, at the precinct, Liv goes towards the interrogation room and Finn's like, uh, no way, no day. You held a gun on this man. And he goes, do you know how much trouble you're in? And she goes, you reported me? And he's like, no, I'm talking about your mental health, sis. Like, I care about you. You're in trouble mentally. I don't... I didn't report you. Like, this isn't going to be about your job. This is about your fucking mind. And she says, she's working on it. And he goes, are you? And he's like, he's like, I'm not seeing a lot of self-care from you, Benson. And he says she needs to talk to someone. And she goes, yeah, Jessica Cruz rapist. We need to find that baby. And he goes, either I'm sitting in on this interview with you or Cragen is. And so she's like, oh, fine. Meanwhile, blonde wife is having a full meltdown and daddy Cragen is not here for it. She's like, where is my husband? You have to show him to me. And she says, Gary was just defending himself. And Cragen's like, great, we just need a statement. And she demands to see Gary. He, she doesn't know why Pruitt would have attacked her husband. And Cragen's like, well, an enlisted man who assaults their superior, what happens to them? And she goes, they get a court martial. And he's like, well, that's a pretty big risk for a lifelong military guy like Pruitt to take, isn't it? And she's like, yeah, but it happens, whatever. Like she's covering something. 
Cragen's like, girl, take a Xanax. You are a full mess. And she's like, my husband was attacked. Your cops pulled guns. And Cragen's like, yeah, but your husband is basically worth the weight of the dead bodies that he's killed. So what's up? Like, aren't you used to this? And she's like, well, I'm not a Marine. So we, in this next part, we flip back and forth a little bit between uh, Dominic and Gary getting interviewed. So Liv and Finn are now talking to Dominic. And he's like, the last time I talked to Jessica was a week ago. I called her from the hotel lobby. And they're like, why? And he's like, I just wanted to make sure she was okay. And then he goes, and then Liv goes, isn't that considered fraternizing? And I was like, is it? Like, and are you okay phone call to a friend from the military is fraternizing? What a cool place. Anyway, he also is calling Olivia ma'am a lot. And uh, he says he didn't know where she lived and he last saw her in person five months ago. He explains that she was a fellow Marine and a friend. Liv goes, well, she must have been more than a friend for you to disobey a direct order, Sergeant. And he goes, it's Master Sergeant, ma'am. And she's like, oh, rank is important to you. And he goes, fuck yeah, it is. I earned it. And then she goes, well, you must have been pissed when you lost a stripe and got demoted because of a woman four ranks below you. So I guess he's the one that he lost a stripe because of them, like, maybe hooking up, hanging out, doing whatever they were doing in Iraq. So now... He says, Jessica's welfare was more important than my rank or my losing a stripe. She needed my help. She went AWOL and she needed to report in. How'd you know where she was? And he goes, uh, she told me. And he and they're like, I thought you couldn't reach her. And he goes, I had her coordinates before I got to New York City. And then Liv's like, you tracked her like prey because she was raped and she could prove it. He defends himself. He goes, she was AWOL and knocked up. She needed to get back to base and squared away and get an honorable discharge. Try getting a job without one. I guess he just figured like he was looking out for like the longer future of her life and that she would never be able to get a job if she went AWOL from the military. So he screams. I would hire her. (laughs) People give a shit like maybe a job in the military. But like if you, you don't have to put on a resume, like I don't understand how that matters to most people. I think maybe because a lot of the a lot of former military do get jobs in like government work. And so you wouldn't be able to do that. Sure. But she can go become a teacher, you know, like I guess she's dead now. So go fuck yourself. She's not becoming anything. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) he screams that he was just looking out for her and Liv goes, yeah, whether she liked it or not. And he looks down and he sees Olivia's hand trembling. And we've seen Liv's hands on a lot of interrogation tables. She's never trembling. And he goes, you see that? That's adrenaline right there. You almost killed a man. And she looks at him with her beautiful hair draped over one eye and the other eye staring a hole into this guy's skull. And so now we cut to Mr. Nurse Jackie, a.k.a. Gary, and he's like, oh, that chick has PTSD for sure. That glassy-eyed expression, why is she carrying a gun? And he's like, listen, I don't want to press charges on this whole thing. And Finn's like, you think I give a fuck? You're a combat pilot. You can handle yourself. My question is, why was Pruitt kicking your ass? And he goes, it was a misunderstanding. And he's like, all right. He found out that I'm the one who turned his ass into command about his relationship with Jessica Cruz. He says, off-duty, this guy was all over Jessica. And uh, Finn goes, did you know she reported being raped? And he goes, no, but I'm not surprised. She had a reputation. Ugh. Cut back to Pruitt. A lot of women in the core do, is what he says. So we're, you know, he's basically react, like acting like he's part of that conversation. But well, it's like a you know, we obviously think the military is a rape cult, or I don't have to put that on you, but it's a rape cult. And um, so much fucked up shit happens. But there was a porn star. I don't remember which one, but she was on this podcast. Um, 
plug talk. She was on ad. This one porn star was on and she was in the military. She was like, it was the fucking best. It's, I, it's a fuck fest. I was fucking everyone, gangbangs all night. Like she was one of the people that was like, down like she was pumped wow. to be in the military and she was happy to be fucking everybody so wow, wow they're all wow, wow, breaking wow. the rules but she didn't need an honorable discharge i don't think they care in porn so go lena thank you for your service well okay. no lena's not in it she's the host of the podcast oh, the girl, this the girl. was the guest thank this you guest. to the guest thank you for your service um so Pruitt's like a lot of women in the court have this reputation and like, yeah, it's like when I think of sluts, I think of military women, women risking it all in the Middle East, like get it girl. <laughs> like that's not really, you know, but Benson repeats the incel pledge of allegiance she heard in therapy at the beginning of the episode. Like, oh, so yeah, they're all bitches or sluts, right? So which was Jesse? And he says, neither. She had to be tough to survive. How can a man trust you to watch his back until you prove that you can? It's not fair. It's just true. He's essentially saying that women had to like work harder because like men didn't intrinsically trust them, I think. And then he goes, Jess didn't get that. She wanted it easy. And he told her not to ask for favors because guys would take it the wrong way and give her trouble. He says he didn't rape her and he never had sex with her. It's forbidden. And Liv is like, well, you only obey orders that you want to because nobody tells you no. And he's like, did she say I raped her? And Liv's like, well, she was probably too scared. She got harassed over your demotion. So imagine if she named you as her rapist, what would all of your little buddies have done? Then Liv brings out the big guns and slaps down the photos of Jessica's like, you know, brutally murdered body. So he's basically like, if that's true, if I was her rapist, you should have pulled that trigger when you had the chance. And he, she goes, and if I was like you, I would have. So now Liv is talking to Finn, calling Pruitt a sociopath. She goes, he didn't even blink at the crime scene photos. And Finn's like, the man has scraped body parts off the desert desert floor. Like he's not going to puke over a body in a trunk, but it's like, but it is someone that you were considered a friend. So you'd think you would react a little bit. Liv thinks four tours in Iraq caused him to turn into a cold-blooded killer. And Finn's like, it doesn't really matter what, what either of us think. We don't have enough on this guy. And the assault on Gary is out. He's not pressing charges. And Liv's like, cool, so all the psychos get guns. Let's let them all just go back out there and do their thing. And Munch's like, well, there was no blood on Pruitt's K-bar knife, but it is consistent with her wound track. And Greylick's like, that's not good enough. Everyone gets one of those when they're inducted into the military, I guess. They needed evidence, or maybe it's the Marines. Don't come for me. They need evidence linking Pruitt to Jesse's car or apartment. And Liv's like, what about a witness? So she's talking about the landlord who said that she saw the guy that Jesse was arguing with. And Criggan's like, now a warning? Like, why have you not previously <laughs> checked on this? And Liv's like, oh, I fucked up. Sorry. Like another kind of like sort of piece of the puzzle of how Liv's like not on her A game right now because of what she's going through. And so she goes to check with the landlord. The landlord points Pruitt out of a photo array. Is like, that's the guy. No problem. Back in interrogation, Liv's confronting Pruitt about lying. It was like, you did see Jesse. And he's like, she just had to get back to get to base. It was her only way out. And Liv's like, open your fucking mouth and let me get your DNA because I think you are a full-blown murderer. And she really hates this fucking guy. And at first, he, like, won't do it, and then he opens his mouth and gets the little swabby swab. So, uh-oh, in walks into the precinct Commander Marcus with two military, like, bodyguard-type dudes. He tells Gray, like, thanks for the call. She says, I only called because I had to. It's the law. So, the 
two backup dance, military backup dancers, cart Pruitt out of there. And Commander Marcus is like, nice doing business with you. And then Greylick like slaps him with emotion and is like, and he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Military justice is swift. And essentially what's happening is that this guy's gonna try to give Pruitt the death penalty, because I guess for killing a fellow officer. And Greylick's like, I'm gonna stop you. There's a moratorium on the death penalty in New York. So that's what their little tiff is about. Now, Greylick is in Petrovsky's chambers with the commander, arguing that he is hindering the state's ability to exercise law and order. Petrovsky goes, posse comitatus, Miss Greylick? And I really love hearing Petrovsky just spit out some Latin. But I'm sure all of our lawyer girls that listen to us, and men, but there's a lot of girls, uh, you guys know that the Posse Comitatus Act bars federal troops from participating in civilian law enforcement, except when expressly authorized by law. It's a 143-year-old law that embodies an American tradition that sees military interference in civilian affairs as a threat to both democracy and personal liberty. I am pro Posse Comitatus. So what justice can you grant the baby, the guy says, Commander Marcus says. He goes, you have no recourse over victims killed in utero. We do. So I looked this up, and in the military law, if a person engaging in conduct thereby intentionally kills or attempts to kill an unborn child, that person shall be punished under Articles 80, 118, and 119A for intentionally killing or attempting to kill a human being. So... Obviously, that gets a little bit tricky with abortion laws. That's why we can't, like, that's why you can't really do it here. But I guess in the military, yeah. So this baby still has not been found. And Greylick is like, why can't we just have joint jurisdiction? The military's giving us nothing here. And he goes, tell you what, you can have Pruitt when we're done. And Petrovsky says, double jeopardy would not attach, but it would be a waste of time and money to try him again in like civilian court after he's being you know, court-martialed and found guilty if that's what happens. In the end, he's like, we're sovereign, bitch. That's absolute, salute, salute. Do you listen, you ever listen to um, Race Chaser podcast with Willem in Alaska? I don't. They always, like, whenever somebody has, like, a good outfit, they play a piece of a Fifth Harmony song that goes, salute, salute. Anyway, it makes me laugh when I hear people talking about saluting. Petrovsky are, um, agrees, unfortunately, with the commander. And he's like, cool. So we're going to need Benson to testify at his Article 32 hearing, which the Article 32 hearing, I believe, is the exact same thing that Sheree Appleby had to go through in her episode about when she was raped by other members of her battalion or whatever. Oh, and um, the guy goes, oh, and she'll be surrounded by uniforms. So tell her to take a pill. And I was just like, I wrote in my notes, James Kennedy style, boo. I just started booing this man. So we cut to live on the stand in military court. And she's explaining why many women don't report immediately after they've been assaulted. And then they straight I up. I don't get this. I was, I was thinking about this. Like, what is the, what is the malfunction of like, well, you didn't report till the morning. You liar. Like, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, I don't get why it has to be a race, why you have to report right away. Like, I, I don't get these fake time restrictions they put on if something is real or not, depending on how fast you report it. Like, I don't get that. I don't get it. I think their argument is evidence because after 30 days go by, there's no evidence. It's harder to find witnesses. Like, I mean, I don't know. That's what, that's their argument. But I disagree. Like, obviously with a trauma like that, it could take you, it takes people years. People that have been molested by priests and shit come, come out 10, 15 years later, you know? 
Yeah, I just, I don't, I, I think even the people know it's fake. I think it's just another way to discredit victims. But like this race to report, like, yeah, yeah like the, your rapist just needs to be like wet when you call. <laughs> it's just like, I don't understand. It's, it's, it really bothers me. Yeah. So Liv is explaining all of these things, though. Liv is explaining all the reasons why women don't report, like, and making a very good case for it. And then they straight up, uh, the other lawyer, the defense attorney comes up and goes, you don't like the military, do you? And she goes, nope. And her problem is with any institution that refuses to address rampant sexual trauma. And he's like, do you know what the U.S. conviction- I'm with you, bitch. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, that is our problem with most of these institutions. And when anybody, honestly, like people have messaged us and say, you guys are too hard on the military. You're too hard on like religion, the church or whatever. But it's like, we are, we don't, we're we're, like, we don't think every single person in these things are horrible, but they, as an institution, they are supporting sexual, the, like the rampant ignoring of sexual trauma. They are as institutions. Yeah, my favorite, there's like a video um, where Bill Burr, famous comedian, he's doing like press, like morning news somewhere. And the newscasters are like, don't you think you went a little too far on the Catholic Church? And he goes, don't you think the Catholic Church has gone too far? Like, yeah, are you? It is like wild when people try to like police what you can and can't say about like military or cops or like government or whatever when it's like. Have you seen what they're doing? Like, why do I, why do, why does the military need grace from me? I don't understand yeah. it. Like, I'm allowed to fucking hate it. And it has, I don't care if your son or cousin or father were in the military. That has nothing to do with me. Yeah. I don't, I don't get this like reverence I have to have because your family members in the core. Like, and my I brother don't care. Is, my brother is, you know, I respect the work yeah. he does, but I still, <laughs> I talked to him about this. I'm like, is this a big problem? I mean, like it is. It just like fully is. And a lot of people have messages saying that they were female service members and they say, and it is a problem. So I don't really need the not all military service people hashtag because it is a problem regardless. Okay, so then the defense attorney goes, you know, the U.S. conviction rate for sexual assault is 13%. And she's like, what does that have to do with fucking anything? And then he goes, while the military's is at 10%, what is your point? Yours is 3% lower than the national average. So are you like, we're doing pretty good. Like, also in your specific institution, reporting is probably so much less than just in the general population. Like, that's the problem is that it's like a culture of secrecy as well. Well, and ranks where it's like yes. you can't go against your leader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know, they're bragging about their closure. It's so weird, the conviction rate. So this lieutenant lawyer is being a real asshole and he's bringing up Jesse's previous consensual sexual act and trying to paint her as a slut. And the judge is like, watch yourself, but I'll allow it. And then he's like, isn't it possible she cried rape to cover up an illicit sexual relationship after she got pregnant? Because she would have been, you know, she like ostracized as a pregnant person, I guess. And she wanted to, you know, accuse someone of rape. I, wh- that does not make any sense. And like Olivia points that out. She goes, the consequences of reporting are so high in the military. Why would she do that? Why would she make it up? Here's my question. They have Pruitt's DNA sample. Why has Melinda not tested it against the cord blood? That would clear up everything. We're already in court. No one has that information yet. So now we're back at the 16th precinct chatting with... um. Liv's chatting with her bestie, Finn, and Finn's like, I get why you- It's also sick that they're, like, discussing if she's a slut or not when she's dead. Yeah. Who cares? 
and a baby is missing. Someone murdered this woman. And you're like, I don't know. She might be slutty. It's like bonkers. It's bonkers. So Finn's like, I get why you want to keep therapy hush hush to live. But he's like, but as long as you work at it, the flashbacks will go away. So he's basically confessing to her that like he's had these PTSD periods of his life. And Cragen shows up with the answer to my question. Guess what, Olivia? Pruitt's DNA doesn't match the cord blood. But like, how would he even be in court before that's like been determined? That's a huge plot hole for me in this episode. Like you wouldn't go to court and be like, nope, he's definitely the rapist and the father of this baby. Like all of the defense's shit relies on this. So Liv is incredulous. She's like, oh my God, I was first she goes tested again and they're like we tested it twice and she's like fuck I was wrong she's like so who is this guy then it had to be someone that worked with her every day someone that like got off on bossing her around that was bigger than her then they look at all of the headshots on the board and they zero in on Gary Mr. Nurse Jackie I don't know why he was not equally interrogated at the time like when they found him during this fight but I guess because the mom mentioned or because Dominic was a friend of Jesse's. So now Gary's in interrogation with Finn and he goes, uh, we have questions about where you were the night of Cruz's murder. And uh, the guy goes, okay, so ask. And he goes, I didn't say we wanted to ask you. I love it. So we cut to Olivia talking to the annoying blonde wife. And she's like, what's up, babe? Your husband raped and murdered Jessica Cruz and shake and bake style, you helped. So she's like, wait, what? And they're like, you weren't going to let Jessica ruin your marriage to a hotshot pilot. You love your life, your prestige of like being a military wife. You want to be on the Lifetime show Army Wives. And she gets up to leave. And Olivia's like, babe, your husband's blood matches the baby's. And she goes, that's a lie. There is no baby. And it's like, God, take one fucking science class, you dumb fuck. You guys thought you could cut a baby out of a woman and there would just be no evidence of who the father is or any of the baby's DNA? Like, take a science class. And lives like the umbilical cord. And you can see the blonde's like whole life flash before her eyes. She's like, oh, fuck. And it's like, yeah, should have gone to school or to bio class. And you could be charged with aiding and abetting and the judge will not cut you a break. And so now we're back to Finn and Gary and he's like, she can't tell you shit. She's my wife. There's comp- there's privilege, confidentiality. And Finn's like, yeah, but if she's guilty, she'll flip for a deal. She'll flip on you. So Gary looks stressed. Liv is like, I can try for leniency, but if I walk out the door, I'm gone. So finally the woman spills. She goes, I didn't know he was going to kill her. Gary told her that Jesse was the camp slut. And in a moment of weakness, he made a mistake. She wanted to confront Jesse, but Jesse had already gone AWOL. So she got a friend in base personnel to get her Jesse's number and called her from a burner cell that Gary gave her. She told Jesse, if my husband was a rapist, I have a right to know. I need to shield my kids and I need the details of all of this face to face. So she, Jesse said, here's where to meet me. And she goes, Jesse felt sorry for me. Can you believe that? It's like, yeah, you are married to a rapist. So I guess that is a good reason to feel sorry for you. But she didn't know you were a accomplice to a murder. Gary told the wife that he threw the baby's body into the Hudson. And the wife starts crying pretty hard. And Benson looks like she feels nothing. In the next scene, Liv walks into Cragen's office as he reports that they sadly did find the baby in the Hudson, not alive. And obviously he wasn't like on a little float living. And Warner says that he was probably dead before he hit the water because there was no fluid in the lungs. And Liv goes, well, that's comforting. Yeah, sorry. This is just, I mean, obviously stabbing a woman to death is like, but like you threw a baby in the Hudson? 
and yeah. you're a hero that we need a salute to? Like what? What? Yeah. It's also like this guy could have let her live and have the baby and also been like, ah, we had consensual sex. Like there's no proof, right? There's no proof. So murdering her seems like you went a little bit far. Like, you know, if there's no evidence, especially how probably air fucking tight the evidence has to be for you to get convicted in military court. Probably would have to be like a video of him on camera, like talking about how much he like how he did executed every moment of the assault. But anyway, Cragen says that Warner says that the baby was probably dead before it hit the water. No fluid in the lungs. And Liv goes, that's comforting. I'll let the grandmother know. Maybe she can stitch it on a pillow. Okay, Liv. She's had a hard day. Uh, and then Cragen tells her to take some personal time. And she goes, why? And he goes, you know why. <laughs> Just do it. And then she goes, is that an order? And he goes, no. If it was an order, I'd have to make a notation in your jacket. And he's too cool for that shit. He is a cool boss in the end. And she's like, uh, okay, how much time? And he's like, as much as you need. And it's like, no staring out of a rainy window with a glass of red. Like, go to Hawaii, bitch. You need like a real vacay. And so now... We've got Pruitt at the station in his full uniform, still mamming Benson. And she's like, it's Olivia. And she's like, listen, I want to apologize. And he's like, for what? You killed it. You got justice for Jesse. And Liv's like, I do not understand you. And he goes, I knew my DNA wouldn't match. I told you I didn't have sex with her. Did you want to tell your lawyer that? Like why the trial happened at all is so wild to me. Um, you just looked out for her. And he goes, yeah, she's my fellow Marine. She got attacked. She needed help. That's my job. And Liv's like, why didn't you go to your CO? And then he goes, accusing an officer without proof will land you in the brig. And Gary had already turned you in for fraternizing. And that's why you were beating the shit out of him. Dominic goes, yeah, he either confessed or he wouldn't be coming back from his next deployment. And Liv goes, you would have killed, would you have killed him? And he goes, would you have shot me? And then Liv is like, I wasn't fair to you and I need to tell you why. And she confesses to him about being sexually assaulted six months ago. And he like moves towards her and he goes, quit kicking yourself. And she goes, easier said than done. And I kind of want them to kiss right now. I'm not going to lie. And then she tells him uh, to be careful. And she he goes, I'm a Marine. It's what we do. And then it's like, yeah, unless you're murdering your rape victim and then cutting the baby out of her body. <laughs> but then that's when you guys are being sloppy. So then it cuts to Dick Wolf, baby. But I did look up that the last title card of this episode was the military trial on October 8th. So if we think that this episode ended like October 8th or 9th, the next episode is Smut and the first title card is Halloween, October 31st. So I think Max Liv took two weeks of vacation, but in reality, one. But two weeks is nice. Yeah. That was, you know. Yeah. So that's that. That's that like horrible, horrible, sad episode about a baby being thrown into the Hudson. I mean, it's not the first baby to be thrown into the Hudson on the show either. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think I know very vaguely about the true crime. So I'm I'm looking forward to you walking me through it. We will be right back after these messages. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. I hope you loved our ads or loved pressing the skip 30 seconds button. Whatever floated your boat. Okay. <laughs> so um, this case is um, inspired by Maria Lauterbach. And she was a young Marine who, according to her mom, you know, loved Marine life. 
Her mom described her to NBC News as bold, a very daring person, always looking for a challenge and to push herself. And then the fucker in all of this is Marine Cesar Lorian, and he killed Lauterbach, um, his pregnant colleague, Lance Corporal Maria Lauterbach, after she accused him of rape and was set to testify in a military proceeding in December 2007. And she was only fucking 20 years old. Like, that's another thing we forget. I mean, in the episode, everyone's kind of older, but military is young. Yeah. These are young people. It's kind of like professional sports. Like, we had a friend working in professional sports. I was like, oh, are you hanging out with a team? And he was just like, no, they're 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 20 years old. Like, they think I'm an old weirdo. Like, yeah. I forget that, like, athletes and a lot of these people are so young. Or even the first time I saw people in the Navy outfits, because I was like, oh, I love sex in the city fleet week and then i'm like who are these dorks so <laughs> with like full-blown acne still you know like <laughs> they're young like he i think i mean fuck this fucker okay so he hit maria in the back of the head with a crowbar and so she died of blunt force trauma to the head and there was evidence of blood splatter in the lorian family home um her remains were found charred and buried in his backyard a month after her murder and they were beneath a barbecue pit Oh, yeah. And so she was um, like, there's conflicting reports, but she was like seven or eight months pregnant, depending on the source of like, that's how pregnant she was. After she went missing, the military did not report her gone. And after five days, her stepmother, who lived hundreds of miles away in Ohio, finally contacted local authorities like no one was helping. So her stepmother, Mary Lauterbach, told police that her daughter typically called her like 12 times a week. They talked all the fucking time. And she hadn't heard from her daughter in five days. And I just can't believe the military, like you're at a camp and you're one of your officers are missing and you don't do anything. Yeah, maybe do they just assume that they're AWOL? Like, I don't know. That's but isn't yeah. the whole thing you still have to find them? Like, yeah, I don't know. yeah, you're right. You guys didn't launch a thing, call any family members. So the last conversation she had with her daughter, they talked about plans for a future trip. And um, she like she was just her daughter was in distress because she had to go to a mandatory Christmas party where her attacker was going to be, but she had to go. And so her mom's like, listen, just go show your face to the, your superiors and whoever needs to see you just be strong and then just fucking leave the Christmas party. And that was the last conversation um, her and Mary, like Maria and Mary ever had. Oh. Um, and her mom like was so supportive of the Marines because she thought it would be safer than being in quotes, being loose on the streets or in a college environment. And, you know, I don't, that is confusing to me, but she just thought the Marines would be a safe place to be. The mom did talk to her roommate and the roommate said that she found a note that said, I cannot take this Marine life anymore. I am leaving. Sorry for the inconvenience. But her mom was like, she would never write that. That's not how she speaks. She would never write sorry for the inconvenience. Like that's yeah. just like not her at all. And so that was weird. And then her possessions were still in her room. So she it's not like she packed a bag or anything. And her phone was turned off. And then the day later, they found the cell phone at the military base, Camp Lejeune. I don't know if that's how you say it. And then they also noticed shady shit in her bank account. And then they found her abandoned car at a Jacksonville, North Carolina bus station. So 
that's where we left like that's where we leave off like missing whatever so Lauderback and Lorian they met at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina where they were stationed together and this is the largest marine um core base in the world according to the New York Times wow. so and so she accused this guy of rape and the Marine Corps took a very casual approach to all this so she filed a charge in April 2007 and they did not schedule a hearing till December so for months and months, she had to just be on this base with her attacker. And her mom remembers that on Mother's Day 2007, Maria called her to be like, happy Mother's Day, yada, yada. And that's when she revealed that she had been raped. So there is an outcry witness. Like on Mother's Day, she was like, in April, this guy raped me. And so she confessed to her mom that, it, you know, she was on night duty with her su- supervisor and the door was locked. And that's when she was attacked. And then the mom is actually the one who urged her daughter to come forward and make a report. And so she reported the attack in the office. And then the officer in charge said that the alleged attacker was a stellar Marine and that Maria was a troublemaker trying to seek retribution. So, but that's the thing. It's like right away you have this opinion. Like, even if you're not like us, where it's like, believe the victim, like you would have to be like, okay, let's investigate. But I just hate so much that they're very much like, well, he's great and you're causing trouble. So stop like without anything. That's their baseline that women are lying. They are trouble and you're ruining a man's life. Like they cannot even see outside of that worldview. Like that is their instincts while ours is like the full opposite. And yeah. It, yeah. So and then she kept receiving pressure from those around her to drop the charges and leave her attacker alone. So and then, you know, cuts to December or whatever. He disappears. So for three weeks, he disappears and it's right before his scheduled rape hearing at Camp Lejeune. So and then this is same with her murder. It was right before she was supposed to testify. So the timing of all this, like, you know, he didn't do it in April when or May when she did the charges. He had all summer. He had the fall. It was right before the hearing was supposed to happen. So what he did in those three weeks, he fled to Mexico And there was a massive manhunt. And so it popped off. And there was like a reward poster for $25,000 for information leading to the arrest of Lorian. And, you know, he was obviously caught. But so he was extradited back to the U.S. in 2008. So he really (laughs) he really had some time going. But the only way that 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 he was extradited is because prosecutors agreed not to seek the death penalty so that Mexican authorities would return him. And uh, then he was obviously so then he was kicked out of being a Marine after fleeing as investigators closed in. But he was not kicked out of being a Marine for the rape or the murder accusations or anything like that. It was only because he broke the rule of fleeing. Yeah. So that says a lot, too. Like fleeing is is more detrimental than like fucking murder. Um, So then Mexico doesn't have the death penalty. So that's why they refuse to send people charged with crimes back to the U.S. unless Mexican authorities are assured that American prosecutors will not seek the death penalty. And they kind of used a little bit of this in the episode with like Greylick not being like super against the death penalty because that kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. But it's a little bit tied into this. Yeah. And then and he was born in Mexico. So he had citizenship and he probably knew this information because, you know, he fled right after he found out he could face the death penalty. So he was finally arrested April 2008 and the, a DNA test finally proved he was not the father. 
Oh. Yeah. Not the father. So. I don't know. Do they ever find out who the father is or no? The, the, so Dewey Hudson, the district attorney of the Onslow County, he said that I cannot comment on any of the tests and he would not say how the DNA results might like affect the case against Lorian. So it's not there. Yeah, there's no real information on who it was. And I feel like it's also irrelevant. Yeah. So at the time of his arrest... Um, a Mexican reporter asked him whether he had killed Lauterbach and the Marine replied, I loved her. And this is according to CNN. Um, so, yeah, he loved her so much. He fucking killed her and then <laughs> used her card in an ATM. So it took two years to get to court and get a verdict for the sicko. The prosecutors claim that Lorian killed Maria Lauterbach December 14th and used her ATM card 10 days later before fleeing to Mexico. The defense attorney, Dick McNeil, was trying to say that it was Lorian's wife, Christina, who did it. So there's the little wife connection. The defense attorney? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. <laughs> and then Christina actually also produced a note that her husband had written. And in the note, it claimed that the 20-year-old woman slit her own throat during an argument. And so she took her own life and that he just buried her. So that's like a note he gave to Christina. But there was a four inch wound on her neck. But like the autopsy results said that the wound itself would not have been fatal at all. And it may have even occurred after death, but like it wouldn't have killed a person. Yeah. The chief assistant district attorney for Onslow County said in his closing argument that he killed her to salvage his military career. So his military career was more important than this woman's life. Um, so the jury took less than three hours to find Lorian guilty of first-degree murder and the death of his pregnant colleague. He is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So I guess your military career didn't really work out anyways. Um, and since he's clearly a psychopath, he had no emotion when his life sentence was read aloud. And then he was also found guilty of, fi of a financial transaction, like card theft for using Lauterbach's ATM card, but also who cares? Like here he has life. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and he was only 23 years old when he got the life sentence. So fuck off. You get to spend like it's an actual life sentence. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's about to be in prison for 70 years, I hope, or even more. And he's at Pascatank Correctional Institution in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, a very high security type of place. Um, this case, though, promoted policy reforms in the military. So by executive order, communication between victims and victim advocates will now be privileged, which means they weren't. Ugh. Legal assistance for victims of sexual assault, because before only defendants in the military had granted access to a lawyer. Oh, my God. How insane is that? That's like, unbelievable. Well, that's why, like, the defense of these places, it's like they are telling on themselves. Like, we're not making it up. This isn't an opinion. Like, they straight up gave legal assistance to people accused of rape, but not the victims that are bringing on cases. Like, it's skewed. I, it just, like, it. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm living in a fucking alternate universe. <laughs> also, stricter training guidelines and greater oversight for sexual assault response coordinators and sexual assault victim advocates. And the victim's right to a base transfer or unit transfer. And under the new law, these requests would be expedited and the decisions um, would be made within 72 hours and that the bias should be in favor of the victim. 
And Obama signed this into law, according to the Columbus Dispatch, in December 2011. And I also wonder how all the people that like were convincing her to drop the case and how she's just being a troublemaker finally feel that she was murdered by this man, charred, and left under a barbecue pit. Oh, so horrible. 20 years old. They should all get fucking dishonorable discharges. Every single person that told her to drop not it. to drop yeah. it. I want to I want to fucking meet every single person who told her to drop it. Instead and I of wonder- supporting her, helping her, telling him, fuck this guy. And she could have been alive today. And that's why we talk about the culture of the military and the rape cult that it is, you know? I'm also wondering, like, because of that thing I looked up, like, why... It Like you said before, it doesn't matter he got life, but like I would have liked to have seen him charged also in the murder of this baby because he, I mean, I know it's a fetus until it's born or like whatever, but she had intended to keep that baby, you know? Yeah. Well, that was harrowing and horrific, but thank you for doing the research. Don't go anywhere because we have a great guest. All right, you guys, I am so excited for our guest today. He is an actor that has been on some of my favorite shows. He's been on The Sopranos, Sex and the City, but played Edie Falco's husband on Nurse Jackie, one of my fave shows. And you know him today as the cold-blooded Lieutenant Gary Rostin. Guys, enjoy our lovely conversation with Dominic Famusa. This is a real thrill for us because yeah. this is an SVU podcast, but I would call myself a Nurse Jackie Stan as yeah. well. So I'm very excited. I've always wanted to get you on this. We have you're, You've been on five episodes of SVU, so we just had to narrow down what was the best one to get oh, you right for. On, right on. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that we could work it out. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. And by the best one, I guess the most evil of your characters. Yes. The one we chose. <laughs> well, we like we've talked to so many. I mean, over a hundred actors from Law and Order SVU, and everybody always talks to us about how Mariska Hargitay is so amazing. She sets the tone. She's top of the call sheet. You know, did you find that was true of Edie Falco? I really want to hear that was true oh, of Edie Falco. Oh, one hundred percent. Okay, great. One hundred percent, and it's so true. It's so true that whole. You know, that's exactly uh, how it works. I mean, if the if the person number one on the call sheet is cool. It's almost always a very cool, fun set, and not so much if that's not true. But Edie was, no, you guys. I mean, she is. In addition, to, I've always I always say, in addition to being freakishly talented, she's one of the greatest people I've met. She's down to earth. She's she's supportive, loving. She's she's really she's really great. Great wow. person, great actor. Great, nothing but amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, love to hear it. Love to yeah. hear it. Well, not only Nurse Jackie and SVU, but Sex in the City is, there's Miranda up there. <laughs> Sex in the so I was stalking your IMDb and it's like 2000s, you're like back-to-back Sopranos, Sex in the City, where you like, holy shit. Yeah, it was. Was that you like know, a fun those time? Were, those, those, it was a very fun time. Those were my first two jobs, actually. Um, and, and, and the first, no, the first, well, the first three jobs were, were Sopranos was my first. Then I think Law and Order SVU, the very when I was uh I played yeah, a cop. Season I played one. A cop. Yeah, yeah, season one, I played a cop. 
And then I think the episode of Sex in the City, they were all sort of back to back to back. And um, yeah, I mean, I just felt so lucky to A, break into television, period, but to break in with three iconic shows. You know, yeah, I was lucky. It was amazing. It was really amazing. Yeah, it was good times. Well, we talked to a lot of actors and it seems like early 2000s in New York, there weren't that many shows and it like just seems like a cool time to be auditioning and being an actor in New York. Yeah, it was. It was. And it was pre it was sort of pre-internet and pre definitely obviously pre-streaming and and the business just felt I don't know how to explain it. Do you guys live you guys live in New York? We're in we LA did. now, but we've all both did for many, okay, many so years. Know, so you know New York. Yeah. Then, yeah. You know that feeling when you get to New York, you're just starting out in whatever you're doing. And and there's, I don't know how else to explain it. There's a, there's sort of a part of the deal is you're just going to pound the pavement. You know, you're going to walk the city. You're going to go to appointments. I remember I was doing a lot of voiceover auditions at the time and I'd run around the city to get that done. And then you'd go to, you know, your agents to pick up a script or you'd go to the casting director's office, you know, in person. I mean, I just miss that. I miss everything obviously is done now online with tapes or whatever. And you never see people anymore. You know, you just, you're not in the room with anyone or rarely, I should say not, not never, but very rarely. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, that, that made it, that made it more fun. I think when I was younger and I kind of feel for young actors who are just starting out, who never got to experience that. No, don't get me wrong. I love you know, things like this. And I love what the, what the internet and, and computers have, you know, the convenience they've afforded us that we can talk to each other. You know, my wife has a podcast and, you know, before the pandemic, it was always in person. And then after the pandemic, she started doing it remotely. And, um, and it just opened up her world as to who she could have on the podcast. It was incredible. But, um, you know, that being said, there is something special about, being in a room with somebody and and that was, that was really uh you know that was the way things were done 20 years ago and i i'd be lying if i didn't say i i, I didn't miss that I, I do miss that yeah yeah zipping around new york with a purpose is fun yeah yeah it is <laughs> and and when you're you know you're running late and you're you know and we didn't have cell phones and you had to ch- you had to call your Call your voice, whatever you call your messages or whatever, and call your you know, answering machine, right? Your answering machine, yeah, <laughs> or your service. Call your service, and it was, and you knew that if it, what was it? If it if it rang, you didn't have a message, right? And if it if it went straight to the voicemail, <laughs> then you had a message. You got so excited. I remember getting jobs at payphones. I mean, it was hilarious. Like you know, I'd call my service, and I'd find out I had a job, and then sometimes I'd. You know, I'd call to talk about the job and I'd run out of quarters and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my it God. Was, and it's like, that wasn't even that long ago. It's really, it it, it's it really that, the no. technology. I mean, I just feel bad actors don't get to feel queasy in a waiting room, listening to other actors do vocal warm ups and stuff anymore. Now they just click into a Zoom. It's not the same <laughs> experience. Yes, exactly. Or, you know, you make the tape and you get to like, you know, the good thing is obviously you send in what you want to send in, right? But uh, so that's good. But also, you know, how about being in front of the director or producer and like, you know, getting a little feedback and making an adjustment? Right. How about how about that? You know? Yeah. I feel like with these tapes now, if you make a tape, you got to like somehow read their mind and know exactly what they want. And if you're not coming in exactly how they envisioned it, I don't know. Maybe you're 
automatically ruled out. I have no idea. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works on their end. Uh, I just missed the, you know, like for this, for, for, for this episode of SVU that you guys are talking about, I went in, it was Eric LaSalle, who was the director. Ooh, fun. Yeah, who, who was, you know, everybody knows from ER. And he was so cool. And I remember, I remember to this day, because, you know, it was 15 years ago. So there's been a lot of life in between. But I remember, I remember thinking how awesome he was. And he obviously he was an actor, so he was particularly in tune with, with actors, which is nice when you have that through your director. And when I got on the set for the first time, I just, you know, I said the standard, like, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And he's like, are you kidding, man? You came in and you, you took this, you took this part. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I had to cast you. Like there was something. And I think that, I think that, uh, I think the sides included a scene that eventually got cut out. There was, I think there was a scene, I tried to watch the episode. I don't know if it's been edited over the years, but I remember shooting a scene where I was actually arrested, you know, and, and had my hands behind my back. And that's not in there anymore. It's not oh. in there. Yeah. So I don't know if it was ever in there or I don't know. But Eric Eric was like, yeah, you came in and, and you know, in the moment where you're supposed to be arrested, you, there was just some sort of fire, you know, going on inside you. And, and you... um Anyway, he was very complimentary and very supportive about it. And I just remember that expression. You took the part. And, you know, I think actors come in a lot of times and we're all guilty of it, of like, please pick me. You know, like, you know, you have this attitude. Like, But if you come in and like, you know, and it's harder, it's easily, easily said, hard to pull off. But if you come in as if like your attitude is like, okay, I already have it. You know, you're just, this is like, this is the first take. We're just going to. You know, this is a formality. Yeah. We're, we're just, it's, it's very hard. And sometimes you just, sometimes, you know, I, I admit I'm not right for most of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I'm not right for. But if you come in and you're right for it and you sort of own it, I don't know, as a young actor, that was really something good that I heard at that moment. And I think it really helped me, actually. And I tried to keep that in mind going forward. And um, anyway, I was grateful to Eric for putting it that way. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, in this one, wild fight scene thrown through a glass table. Yeah, yeah. Cool fight. Yeah, it was a good fight, wasn't it? Yeah. I uh, I love that too. I when I was in when I was in theater school, I I did a lot of stage combat and when I first got out of school, I did a lot of Shakespeare and I I was like, you know, in the I played Tybalt and I was doing like the, you know, the sword play and all that stuff. I I really like that stuff too. I love I love being physical. I was I was an athlete as a younger person, so I love getting to use you know, that kind of energy in, in my work, it just sort of grounds it. And it's, it's a lot easier to get into a bot into the body of your character when you're moving around like that. You know what I mean? It's, it sort of takes that energy sort of takes you to a place that makes it easier to, to play than something that's completely cerebral and you're not really sure how to go at it. I, I love the physical business of all that stuff. And that was a great fight. And Ryan was amazing. Um, He's a phenomenal actor. Ryan I love Quant- him from True Blood. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, uh, Ryan Quant- Quanton, I think. Is that Quanton, yeah, yeah. Quanton, yeah. He's Australian, I, I think, isn't he? He's Australian, yeah. yeah. You know, I remember, you know, it's funny. I get to talk to you guys about this because I had forgotten a lot of things over the years about, about doing this episode. But I, I came back and I remembered the thing about Eric and what he had said about auditioning. And then I remember Ryan, who who I haven't probably seen since. but. I remember being so impressed with with what he was doing. He was doing something that actors who work for the camera 
you know, eventually become very good at. But I was still, I mean, I had done some television, but 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 I I come up to the theater and I hadn't really sort of fully understood this this part of it. And and he was he was basically doing something different on every take. And at first I was like, dude, what you know, I'm thinking, what do you do you not know what you're doing? Like what do you you know, you he was he was switching it up so much that I was like, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's not sure how he, you know, how he wants to approach it or he's confused, but it's actually the complete opposite, right? Like he's giving the director and the editors so many options. And as someone who's, you know, when you work for the camera, that's exactly, that's a big part of your job, right? So like, you know, you do it like I had done so many plays and you, you sort of lock in over the course of rehearsal, you do the play and you figure out how you're going to play this moment in the, in the play. And then, you know, yeah, it changes a little bit from t- from night to night because of the, th- the different reaction from the house and all that. But in general, you're pretty much right there, right? But when you, what I was learning and what Ryan really seemed to understand at that point much better than I did was it's so valuable to switch it up and that each choice has an equal opposite choice that you can try. And I just remember that stuck in my head. And I actually got Nurse Jackie like, literally two months after shooting this episode of SVU. And that's where, as you know, Nurse Jackie was a gig where I was there enough where I was actually getting to hone my craft in a new way where I was, you know, because I was I was working more consistently for the camera than I ever had been. And again, I, t- I took that with me. I, I would remember Ryan Quantum, you know, mixing it up in, in the different takes. And uh, yeah, anyway, I, I just think... It's so funny that you picked this episode because it and wanted to talk to me about it because it it really was a, a seminal moment for me, and in so many ways there was the there was the thing with Eric and then and then Ryan and and just where it fell into my life like how I it was the last job I did before I got Nurse Jackie which was a job that changed my life and yeah and so you know talk about I don't know energy or zeitgeist or you know whatever but there was something going on in that moment for me and I was just very fortunate to. Uh, to do this episode when I did, because I think in some ways it sort of propelled me into the next step of whatever, whatever that was going to be. Yeah. yeah. But you yeah. guys are just going at, you guys are just choreographed fighting the whole time. The two of you, it's not like any stuntmen or anything. It's just you guys beating the shit out of each other. I think we both did. I don't think there was a stuntman. I think it was choreographed. We, we probably rehearsed it quite a bit and then, yeah. Yeah. But wow. you know, he was obviously very, you know, athletic and, you know, he, he, he was, Good to go, and I, I was, I was still young enough to be game. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know if I could do it now, but um, yeah, it was fun. But your dude was cold, man. You, your character threw a baby in the Hudson, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and got, and you know, I, I, it's my understanding that these stories come from actual headlines, right? So they're coming from actual stories. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I well, th- I think this is based on a, this is based on a woman in the military who was killed, but I, I don't know if a baby was thrown into the Hudson or anything. I don't know if yeah, it's all that, yeah. if it went that close. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, the bad guy parts are always, in my opinion, the kind of the, the fun parts on those shows because, I mean, obviously, Benson and Stabler great characters, iconic characters, great actors. But, you know, this, these people come in on a, you know, for just the, just a week to, you know, mess with them. They're often really fun. Those are good. Those are good, juicy, you know, parts to dive into. Yeah. 
Totally. Oh, it's, that sounds weird to say that when I'm thinking about what he, you know, like to your point. Threw <laughs> no, that's what everybody water. says because we, but we, it is, it is, yeah, yeah, we've talked to a lot of people or we've seen a lot of also like very well-known comedians be on the show and they'll play yeah. really twisted psychos. And it's kind of like, cause that's the only fun thing to play when you go on that show. You know, nobody yeah, wants totally. to see a huge comedian come on and be like a defense attorney, you know, like you want <laughs> to see them come on and like be this person you didn't expect, you know? Exactly. Right. And they get to, right. They get to, uh, you know, go in a direction that they're not normally given an opportunity to do and, and show their, you know, show their range. It's yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Were there any other memory or like, Moments with the cast, do you think our listeners would be really happy? Like any tea? Well, I'll give you. I'll give you a little tea. I mean, so so Pete, so Mariska is married to Peter Hermit, who was one of the very first guys I ever met in New York. Wow! I came. Wow. I came to New York. I came. I moved to New York in. Where are you uh, from? Well, so I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. No oh, way! Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was desperate to, you know, just quick, quick side note in terms of Madison. I love Madison. I love coming from Madison and coming from the Midwest. And I go back to see my family quite often. But when I got to New York, I mean, I'm Italian. My grandfather was a Sicilian immigrant. So it was, you know, I was trying to play this game where like, you know, I had the vowel at the end of my name and I sort of had this, you know, raspy voice. And I was like, you know, and then I, when I was going into the Sopranos, you know, the last thing I wanted them to know was that I wasn't, you know, from Brooklyn. Right. So I hid that for the longest time. I was trying to like, and then I could get away with it because nobody could look it up. Like it wasn't on the internet. So I could, I could, you know, basically, I wouldn't say I lied, but I, I didn't offer up that I was not from New York. Anyway, I moved to New York and the very first sublet I had was a, was with a group of guys. Uh, most of them had gone to school at Rutgers. And one of them was good friends with Peter Herman, who, who had just like at that moment in his life had just booked, um, like a, a regular part on one of the soaps. And he was like, we all thought, this, you know, Peter was so impressive, such a, you know, good looking guy, great actor. Like, you know, I just remember being so like, I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be in New York. Like I'm hanging out with guys <laughs> like Peter Herman. It was just so awesome. He says, and he's a really nice guy, really super guy. And I've, I haven't seen him too recently, but we've seen each other over the years. And um, so that's my little tea sort of about Mariska because <laughs> I met, yeah, Peter was, this was 1996. I met, I met Peter in 1996. I don't know what year they, they, they started when they, they met on SVU. Yeah. What year do you know? Later. It was definitely not until the 2000s, the early yeah. 2000s yeah. for sure. Yeah. But yeah. well, you were mentioning your wife and we saw she was on an SVU as well. Yeah. She's yeah. been on an SVU. We yeah. Did you meet ask- acting? Yes, we did. Yes, we did a play in 2001, just before 9-11. It was like June, July of 2001. We did a play together at the, we rehearsed in New York, but then we did, we performed the play at the Kennedy Kennedy Center down in Washington. It was, you know, we played, we actually kissed on stage before we ever kissed in real life. Ooh. It's pretty cool. I, and I remember, I remember um, her parents came to see the play and the very first words because in the play, we at the end of the play, we, the characters are meant to become, you know, become love interests, and it's implied that they'll be together. And so her father comes down to the dressing rooms after the show and sticks his hand out, and says, "Let me meet my future son-in-law." Yeah. And because he's making a joke, because the characters, you know, are and sure enough, like eighteen months later, Alana and I were married. So. Oh my god, I love that. He was clairvoyant or whatever. 
Sounds like a perfect Jewish dad comment too, or like the yes, mom. Exactly. The mom. Who's the guy? Who's the guy well, in the play? And, here, and, and here's the thing: <laughs> I was playing a Jewish doctor in the play, so I was I was in. Yeah, I was like, you know, I had his approval. We're both Jewish, just in case you think I'm saying something yeah. weird. Well, and and <laughs> and also, let me tell you a little tea that I I've converted to Judaism. Ooh, uh, and you stepped I, on the glass at the wedding. Well, I did a hell of a lot more than that, but yes, <laughs> I. I uh, uh, well, thankfully, I didn't have to do the ultimate. You know, yeah. Like, that was taken care of because I was a child of the late 60s. But, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I studied Hebrew. I, I, I learned Hebrew. I can. My, my wife grew up in a conservative family. So going to synagogue was a big part of her life as a kid. And, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I can, you know, I can read the Siddur and I can. Uh, say the prayers and you know we 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 don't really do it i mean, I mean for a while I, I kept kosher i kept kosher for a while wow and, uh, that's love and i and i uh you know it is love but i also love i also loved it though i really did i really did i mean you know not that we need to get into the whole world of religion but <laughs> what i loved about judaism was for the first time in my life i was asked to like i was encouraged to ask questions i was encouraged to like challenge things and you know, I'm just going to say that's not how I was raised. I was yeah. raised like, this is how it is. This is how we do it. Keep your mouth shut. And and there were some beautiful things about about how I was raised. I was raised Catholic. But but I did, I did, love, I did love the idea that I was free to speak my mind. And that, you know, nobody, nobody was pretending to have the ultimate answer, you know, at least not in the way I was introduced to it. So anyway... That's that is the cool. That is the cool thing about Judaism compared to other religions. For I sure. think so. I think so. For yeah. sure. Well, can I? I do want to do another Sex in the City question. Um, once that came out, I mean, that's that was such a big show. Did people ever stop you on the street and be like, "You're the asshole"? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and I've, I. Yes, and I. I. The power of that show, the 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 longevity of that show. People, I did one episode, and people are just as likely to remember me from that as they are from anything else. And I'm like, how do you, like that was 22 years ago or whatever it is. But yes, I mean, the, you know, you know how it is. I mean, the people who love that show, they love that show. And they've watched those episodes like over, over, and, over and over and over. Yeah. yeah. So yes, I've been, yes, even to this day, people, you know, and I'm always like, really, that's what you, you remember. But <laughs> Yeah, it was fun though. I mean, it was a great show. And even I remember Sarah on the on the night we shot the scene where I start ripping into her after we, you know I've gone on the date with Cynthia, and then we the three of us get together for drinks or whatever, and I start ripping into Sarah. I remember when we were filming it, she's like, "People are going to remember this scene," and I'm like, "Yeah, she knows she was talking." About. They do. <laughs> yeah. And you guys like met at the funeral, and there was like big martini glasses you know it was yeah it was it like is, season yeah, right. three when the show was like not peaking but like getting the real big press you know like yeah. so yeah. cool yeah. it was so cool have you been watching uh yes like of course yeah. yes eagerly yeah. awaiting season two yeah well you've given us so generously so much of your time but we should let you go but do you have anything like that you're that you have coming up that you want to our, our listeners should keep an eye out for or well i'll say two things i i've been a part of a show that i'm really proud of that has sort of gone under the radar 
And I, I, I encourage people to tune in. It's hard to find. A, well, it's on something. It used to be on Epics, E-P-I-X. Do you know what that is? Yes, yes. My husband did yeah. a comedy special on Epics and we've never seen it because right. we don't yeah. have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now Epics got bought out. It's on something called MGM+. Plus. Have you seen that around? I mean, you can get these. The good news is it's something you can order for like four or five bucks a month. I mean, it's not a huge. Yeah. You know, it's not like what's, Netflix where it's, what's Netflix, like a hundred dollars a month now, something like that. It's like <laughs> 19. Yeah. It's like 18 or 19 for me. So it's, it's called the God, it's called Godfather of Harlem. And it's, it stars Forrest Whitaker as this gangster in Harlem in the 1960s. He plays a guy named Bumpy Johnson. It's all based on real people, real stories. Forrest is amazing, obviously. And, and uh, there, but the characters are, you know, like Malcolm X is a character and Adam Clayton Powell is a character. And then there's an Italian gangster side. Uh, and the lead of that side is a guy is a character named Vinny the Chin Gigante, who was famous for walking around Greenwich Village in a bathrobe, uh, trying to make the feds think he was crazy. And Vincent D'Onofrio plays. Yeah, I'm looking at the IMDb. You got D'Onofrio. Giancarlo yeah. Esposito is in it, yes, too. It's a great like, cast. It's a great wow. cast. And I, I play D'Onofrio's brother, who in real life uh, is a guy named Louis Gigante, who's a priest. He's a he, so, so I'm playing a priest. Um, we've done three seasons. There's a They're each 10 episodes. But it's very bingeable. It's it's just really cool. And, and, and I don't know. It, there's something about the historical nature of it, which is fascinating because you know it's the civil rights movement of the 60s in harlem which was such a, a, a rich time to be in harlem but but in so, so many ways it's as pertinent today as it was back then it, yeah so i just i encourage people to check it out it, it, it's sort of flown under the radar which i think is is too bad and you know i mean forrest is one of our greatest actors and yeah he's a huge huge guy yeah i mean yeah. everybody could probably go get a quick seven day trial and just binge exactly. the whole thing. No, that's exactly that's what I tell people. <laughs> like you pay pay for a month and you can easily get through the thing. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, this is star studded. I want to watch this. Yeah, I think you like it. I come and go, but I, I just I just I encourage people to watch it, not because I you know, it's something I'm I mean I am proud of what, what I've been able to do with it, but it's really because it's such a great story and, and there's there's such great writing. Chris Broncato created it. He's the guy who created Narcos? Yeah, he, he's he's a terrific writer, and he's he's got a great staff of writers, and some great directors have come through. And anyway, yeah, we finished the third season uh, in this. When did we finish it? I think December, and it just aired. The third season just played like February, March. So now you can binge, you can watch it all. You know, it, it's all there on MGM Plus. Well, awesome. I just saw that Chris Brancato wrote two episodes of Law and Order SVU. Yes, oh, really? Excuse me. <laughs> yes. Hello. Listen, it all comes back to SVU. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was wild. I sometimes we talk to people that have just been in my heart and head for years, like a decade, like, and suddenly they're there. I, it really is wild. And he's so nice, so cool. Seems like such an active father. Always plays very, even in Nurse Jackie. Like he's uh, he's getting fucked over by Nurse Jackie, but it's still like, yeah, you're cold. I don't know. Like, he just <laughs> plays these cold or psychopaths i mean people that throw babies into the cold water but so nice so yeah a, cool. warm, a warm person in real life i we don't 
I expected us when we started this podcast to talk to more crazy people, more people that were just like unhinged. But I guess people are either keeping it together for this short combo or more people in Hollywood are normal than we think. Yeah, I I mean, a couple have, a couple of faces have popped into my head when you said who's crazy or not. Um, I a definitely couple. have a few um, a few faces I'm thinking about. But in terms of him, it it's just great. He's just great. Yeah. But damn, girl, your husband's cheating on you and you just help him get rid of the evidence and perform a murder. That woman. Oh, th- some- I mean, this is one of our old school little lo- slogans, but don't go to jail for a man. Yes. Never don't go to jail, go to for, a jail man. for a man. No, no, I no. I still think that should be merch. I think that's one of the best ones. You said that, and I think that's one of the best ones. Don't go to jail for a man. We could bring it back. I mean, it, it's an overall lesson. Also, that other military guy who knew he was guilty but wouldn't say anything. Do we? I still, I don't get why. He was yeah, just like just end really, of the process. <laughs> I just, just kind of hate how they have their own court and like they get to go around the system and like do it themselves and everything. I just am like, why do you have different laws than the rest of the people? Like, well, it's kind of like college campuses. They don't want yes. they don't want it on the outside. They want to keep this like facade going that they're great. They they don't want <laughs> it in the court. And two places where sexual abuse is rampant. So, you know, it doesn't like everything we've talked about this before, but like anything that's secret, the anything's that have like codes of silence or vows of secrecy or like like that's just a recipe. Those are breeding grounds for like, you know, criminal behavior. Of all kinds. But the only thing I think I I guess I learned in this episode is don't join the military. Um, (laughs) Well, you didn't learn that. I feel like that (laughs) you knew that. (laughs) Yeah, not a not a new not a new one. What I'm trying to think what's new that I learned. Well, wait, what it was. What was the. um, Oh, God, that real case was fucking crazy. I guess that Dominic, great actor. I mean, I I think forever I will have emblazed in my brain like he threw the baby into the Hudson. Like that's (laughs) that's a haunting moment. Like that is a cold ass person. I mean, I guess that's who you want as a killing machine in your military. Someone that would do that. Yeah, I guess that's the fucked up thing. The whole you want monsters in the military. Yeah. You want someone that has no issue throwing a baby into the Hudson. I I get I guess that's that's what you want when they go to the high schools. They look for low grades, are you poor, and will you throw a baby into the cold water? And if you can do all those things, then you can definitely join the United Forces. Well, because our friend has a sibling and I asked this in an of an audience or somewhere and it wasn't true, but like that he's just really high up, but they would break, they would punch and break all their noses. So then they wouldn't be scared of that pain anymore. So then they know what it feels like. So you don't. That's not true, though, you said it is true of our uh, the person that we know. Um, but he's very high up. And when I asked someone oh. just in the military, um, I did some crowd work in LA and there was someone in the Marines. And when I asked her that, she was like, no. But <laughs> she but she went to the Marines because she was poor. And so it's I don't think she stayed a long time. But I think if you go f- the distance, <laughs> they yeah. punch you in the face. So I mean, you're not that's scared a, of it. That is one thing, though. Like, I, I, I guess it's like, I do think it sucks that, that like... The, the way our country is, is like that poor people have so few options. But I do feel like the military and the armed forces can help people like pull out of that cycle, which is good in some in some cases, you know, gives people 
you know, some professional training in school for free and stuff like that. But, you know, still, you have to, like, offer up your life for that. Yeah. So that's a toughie. That's a toughie. But, yeah, they also make you go into, like, different gases and stuff. So it's not an issue for you. Like, if, if there's, like, you know some sort of poison gas. I mean, I'm, I don't know the words. This but, you guy know. sounds like a Navy SEAL. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But like you have to go through it. So then if it happens to you, you can like yeah. keep going, you know? Okay. I do have something to confess. I'm embarrassed about it. I am watching Stars on Mars. Oh my God. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? You won't go to Schwartz and Sandy's, but you're putting in streams to a show that Tom Schwartz is on. Yes, but so is Natasha Legero. And Schwartz didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he's yes, an he idiot. did. He's what an idiot, but about? he's not the main person you're mad at. If you you would not, if he had his own bar, you would not go to that over this, would you? I would. The, I mean, I have been blind to it for years and years, so I'm taking full responsibility. But the way he treats Katie and what he did to Katie, horrible. And the gaslighting is horrible. To say that he's done nothing wrong is wild. Also, but he's not the Ariana. Main no, but Ariana was a groomsman in his wedding and he helped his Sandoval cheat on her knowing it the whole time for months and months and months went on trips I'm not the one the watching him on a reality show yes but you said he did nothing <laughs> wrong and you also said the military is a great place for scholarships so you're really you're what really, are you talking about this, it is some people it's true <laughs> And not only that, but Schwartz helped try to like, he filmed fake scenes, um, like making Ariana seem like this horrible person. I think he's done a lot of shitty stuff, but so has like other people who's like establishments we've He cheated on Katie. And he cheated on Katie all the time throughout their marriage. Poured beers on multiple women. I don't think he's like an innocent uh, bystander. I don't think he is either, but I don't think that if like this had not happened, you would have a problem going to their bar, even though we knew all of this behavior, almost all of this behavior from Tom before. I'm saying to boycott a business. He is a dick. I mean, but also yeah. I might be the only person watching Stars on Mars, so it's not like I'm giving it too much. Like I the Nielsen rating to one. Another- <laughs> I'm the only one. It's you have just a viewership me. of one, and it's one lady in California. Um, <laughs> wait, what is happening? We should check on, on her. She seems sad. Uh, what? <laughs> what is it? What is happening on it? I DM Natasha and I go, I have a lot of questions about Mars. And she just wrote LOL. So I hope maybe I have to like force myself on her because I need answers. Um, I don't know where they film it. It's obviously, but they're all pretending like they're on Mars and everything is life and death, but clearly it's not. And so then there's like a fire. It's like, where is this? What are the challenges? What is going on? It's really, it's a mess. It's a mess. But I like, you know, seeing all the people, I guess, all the mismatch, but they like have to be cleansed. Like they're doing cosplay like they're on Mars in these outfits and they're eating freeze dried food, but it's goofy. But I liked that 70s house on MTV. Do people get kicked off? Yeah, so they have a challenge every episode and there's like two commanders, like a main commander and a mission commander and they're inside and they're like in the headsets and then everyone else puts on spacesuits 
and there's an in-between area, and then they go out into Mars, quote-unquote. I'm doing quote fingers, everyone. And they do a challenge where it's like, "Uh uh-oh, there's a rupture in the air thing. Get the ladders and fix this. And then they'll, like, wind the sand and make it cold. Like, they kind of make And then the people are like, it's hard. And they're pretending they're on Mars. And then they go back in the in-between. And then everyone gets voted, like, mission critical, can come back in. And then there's three people left. And then the team, like, all of them chat about who gets to stay or not of the three losers. Tom Schwartz has been in the bottom three multiple times. But (laughs) not surprising. I don't think he has much to offer. He has nothing to offer, but Portia's on it, too, from Atlanta yeah. Housewives. So yeah. she's been fun. And then there's, like, I mean, it is cool because there's, like, Olympic athletes, NFL athletes, like, intense athletes. Then there's just useless reality stars. Then there's women that can communicate, and that's kind of like the group. <laughs> and then there's women who can communicate. I love that. Well, that's our non-paid ad for Stars on Mars. Everybody watch it and help Lisa get the numbers up. It's not good. I mean, thank God the bear comes out. I'll have some programming. But like all my favorite Bravo ended. I'm just sitting for New York to start. I am. I'm in a cul-de-sac at at the moment Uh of lack of choices. I don't know. I don't know what to watch anymore. There's nothing. Oh, my God. Yeah, the ultimatum is over. All the things you were watching have come to a, an abrupt halt. Well, we were in an embarrassment of riches before. And now it's like a dry spell. So let's get to What Would Sister Peg Do? This is our weekly segment where we give you guys a website, a podcast episode, a documentary, something to fl- give you more information about the topic that we touched on in today's episode. And we have previously recommended the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, And today I wanted to specifically point you to a guide that they published called Sexual Violence in the Military, A Guide for Civilian Advocates. Um, And this lays out the reasons why sexual violence is so prevalent in the military, why it's so underreported, elaborates on the measures that the military is taking to curb sexual violence, and it shows the steps that can be taken to prevent violence in the future. So if you'd like any more information on that, go over to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, which is abbreviated NSVRC. And the link will also be in our show notes, in our Instagram stories the day of, and then saved forever in our WWSPD2 Instagram highlight. Thank you so much for that. And next week, we will be doing Forgiving Rollins. That's season 16, episode 10. See you soon, bitches. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.